A lot of us would look at this if we're, if we're you know, not new to the Christian faith and see, okay, this is a devotional. But it's different than a typical devotional. There's a devotion that you do in the morning and there's a devotion that you do in the evening. And after each devotion, there's a question to ponder throughout the rest of the day. And so what this whole EHS piece is about is that it's, it's not just an eight-week course that you're going to go through and be done with this eight-week course. Like, it's the beginning of a process. And by diving into this material, you're not just looking into, okay, these are some things that are healthy for my life. Like, it's learning how to slow down in order to recognize what God is doing and to be able to grow into uh, a more emotionally mature person and also be able to dive into uh, a contemplative life, you know, with God. And, and that may be a term that we're not necessarily used to hearing. It's definitely a term that I'm not used to saying. Um, and so we're going to unpack that term a little bit this morning. But as Cazero talks about this maturity, this opportunity that, we, that we're going into, he defines emotional health as the ability to be self-aware and to love well. And so where a lot of us, I would probably say all of us, have a probably a strong contingent of this self-reflection that we're aware of our thoughts and we have our thoughts and we have our own perspective of what how things ought to be. And so I see a lot of people are very can be very self-reflective, but may not at all be self-aware. They may be thinking about, OK, this is how I would do this or this is what I think. And I know what I'm thinking or how I would perceive this. But that's different than being self-aware. Being self-aware is recognizing things that may be in your life holding you back, may be in your life of your tendency towards something that may be different than what God would have you be. So as we dive into this series, some of the things we go into is kind of looking at our families and the family we grew up in and recognizing that, okay, this had an effect on me. You know, and so there's this pattern I see in my life that I'm kind of having to fight against to not be like my great grandfather who would just bite my great grandmother's head off. And my dad was very angry. And, you know, I mean, there's a there's a self inventory that kind of takes place in this. And it's not that we're diving into a depth in these groups that all this stuff and potential junk in our life is, is getting addressed. It's kind of the way I'm describing. It. It's like a flyover, like. You're able to fly over some of the things that could be holding you back in the life that God's calling you to and take an inventory that God wants to lead you into a process and a, a, a relationship with him that leads you to a different place than you've been or than you know was possible in your spiritual life. Steve preached about last week. He, he talked about John 10, 10. He says where Jesus says the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And if you've been coming to Vintage for a long time, you probably heard heard uh, me preach a sermon on this. I think it was about two years ago. We looked at, you know, this the Greek term, what we have for life. There are two different words in, in the Greek that are used. One is called is bios life. Anybody have an idea what bios life might be referencing? Right. If you've been a student. It's your, you know, and you took biology, you know, OK, this is my physical life that I'm living. But then there's this. This Greek term Zoe life, and that's the term that is used by Jesus in John 10, 10, where he says the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I came that you might have Zoe life, your spiritual life and have it in abundance. So the enemy wants to steal, kill and destroy, not just your bios life, not your life, but also 
more specifically, your spiritual life. But I came that you might have a spiritual life and have a spiritual life in abundance that you could not have before I came. And you could not have before I sent my spirit to live within you. So if there's going to be this spiritual life that we are called to live and that we are invited into and that Jesus ultimately paid a price for and suffered for our sake, then it's something that we have to learn how to engage. And this is what we look at when we hear Scazzaro speak of contemplative spirituality. And again, that's not that's not terminology that I'm accustomed to using. I kind of refer to this in, in some different ways, but it will be the terminology that we're embracing as we go through this because it's, it's the language that he uses. So his contemplative spirituality is the ability to slow down in order to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but slowing down can be a very difficult thing. I mean, this is a this is an ongoing process for me. This is an ongoing process for me and my me and my family. My kids will probably have to have therapy one day because of how impatient I am with them getting in the car in the morning to go to school. I mean, it is a uh, it is a source of tension, and my sons are trying not to laugh or cry right now. I don't know which, but it was you know they probably have scars for how impatient I could be with. We're running late, and you've got to get in the car because I grew up in a family where you're not late. Five minutes early is on time, and on time is late. We gotta, we gotta get there, right? And I don't know where my wife is, but she's, she's probably, you know, crying like right now. Oh, uh, there she is, um, with the scars, that, right? But the Lord's teaching me how to, how to slow down. What does that mean for, for you and me? And if, if we're going to, to dive into a contemplative style, and this, it, it, you know, it, everything's coming from this word contemplate, right? So let's slow down enough in order to contemplate what's going on here. What's happening spiritually that can change the way that I'm living and lead me into this abundant life that Jesus has? Because this is not some, you know, Eastern mysticism, you know, like we're learning how to be still and be quiet, which is what we're going to kind of dive into and talk about this morning, because that's kind of a super spiritual thing to do. It's like, no, we, we're doing this because we look at Scripture and this is... Who we're called to be. And just because it may not have necessarily been a practice that has been taught or explained or you led to in your Christian faith up till now doesn't mean it's not the biblical plan of what God has in store to lead you into a greater abundant life. So we're going to look this morning. I'm going to start by reading Psalms 1. And if you know Psalms 1, you'll be glad that that's only a six-verse book, uh, chapter, and, um, and not the hundred and not Psalm 119 that is 170-some-odd verses that we're going to look at in a minute. Y'all are going to be here for a while. So if you want to, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me in Psalm 1, or you can follow on the screen. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, it's kind of clear 
in what David is writing in Psalm 1 that there's kind of two camps. There's not a lot of gray in Psalm 1 that we see a place to live. You know, it's the wicked and the righteous. And, and blessed are those who are the righteous. This is what he says. That, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Like, this is David's delight, that to look at the law of the Lord and to meditate on it day and night. Now, that is a contemplative plan, that he's slowing down to contemplate what the law of the Lord that he has in front of him is and to study it and to understand it. In case you don't quite believe that David says, this is what I desire to do and this is who I desire to be, then I'm going to read to you just a little bit of Psalm 119. Now, this is the longest chapter in the whole Bible. Be glad we're not reading all of it. But I'm going to read a little bit of it to you, you know, 20 or so verses, so that you get the idea. Because what he's doing in all 170 some odd verses is it's, it, it sounds a little bit like a broken record. So listen for this. How concentrated David is on asking the Lord and on meditating on the law of the Lord. He says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts and are, that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn as, as I learn to your righteous ways. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I seek I seek you with all my heart. Do not let your do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following in your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect, neglect your word. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will take them. I will take them to the end. Give me understanding that I might keep your law and obey it in all, with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find the light. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. Is it pretty clear what David's mind's fixed on? Now, David had the law to turn his mind to and to meditate on day and night. And the Lord said, as we read in Psalm 1, the man that does this will be like a tree planted by a stream and he will bear fruit and his leaves will not wither and everything he does prospers. Anybody want to be in that camp? Then there is something that is required of us and a responsibility and an invitation from Jesus because David had the law to meditate on. And we have now 
Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us fix our minds on him. That throughout the day we are learning to turn our minds to God. The whole purpose in the in the starting point in the what Scazzaro calls the daily office and why you have a, a morning devotion and an evening devotion and questions to ponder in between those times is that you're learning to to create this relationship to slow down your life enough that you're turning your mind to God day and night. Meditating on his goodness of who he is and the life that he has called you to and where we choose to continue to be distracted by the ways of the world. then we have to be very careful as we look at, you know, the counsel of the ungodly. We'll read a few notes to you. It's just the way people talk to live as though it matters what people think of me to live as though all life is about today rather than eternity. To live as if, as if aging is something to worry about. As if satisfying my desires and appetites is a wise strategy for living. Mostly, they say, acquire more, look better, be more successful, do more. But Psalm 1 teaches us that there's another way. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way. In their way, who does not stand in their place, who does not sit in the seat of sinners, but who in turn delights himself in God and meditates on his word day and night. That's what David had. How much more do we have now with the spirit of God available to us to live within us that we can delight ourselves in God and turn our mind continually toward him. Anybody have a list of, of to do things and things that keep them busy? Right? Anybody? Uh, if you're, if you're willing to, what a contemplative spirituality as Gazzaro calls it, what embracing contemplation and, and, and a discipline in your spiritual life can offer is to be able to take that list that is probably driving your life. Unless you come to church on Sunday, right? It may not be driving your life in here unless you get bored by my message. You just kind of start daydreaming of what all you got to get done today. But you can take that list and actually set it aside and no longer have it be the center point of your life. That embracing emotional health, embracing a contemplative lifestyle toward Christ is to be able to embrace a life that looks like Christ. Embrace a life to become like him. You know, to be a disciple has this same root that there is a discipline to follow. And disciples follow the disciplines of their rabbi or their teacher. In the same way, we are to follow in the teachings, in the disciplines, not only to the point of action, but to the point of character transformation, that we are living to be Jesus' disciple. Therefore, we are living to become like him in all ways. And we see what Jesus' lifestyle was like. We're going to dive into it more in a minute in Mark 1. But there's this invitation by him 
as we've already spoken about, to an abundance of life. What has to change in our life in order for, for, this to, for us to be able to dive into this? You see, Jesus is offering another way than the way that we've been living in the counsel of the ungodly, where, where our minds are fixed on what people think of me. Our minds are fixed on what my appetites are or what I think is good for me. And that these, these constant thoughts are what is driving and centering our life. He has a different way, and it's where our life is centered on him. As we look at the relationship that Jesus had with his father throughout the book of John, you see this almost codependent relationship to the point that Jesus is saying, I simply do what I see my father doing and say what I hear my father saying. Let me just lay out the groundwork for you. Anybody want to step onto that stage and be able to make the same comment? I simply do what I see Jesus doing and saying what I hear Jesus saying. Anybody feel confident that's all they do and all they say? I know I can't hold my hand up, but diving into and embracing a contemplative spirituality is to begin embracing a process and a lifestyle that Christ is calling us to. That is not about revealing things that we should be shameful about and how bad we've been at this in the past. It's about I have a hope and a plan and a future for you to be prosperous, for you to be like a tree planted by a stream. But there are some things that you have to recognize. And a willingness of what you've got to, to, to have before you. You see, any of the things that in, in life we are, we are drawn to, looking to, and wanting to look to somebody to teach us how to live life. That's a pretty popular topic. Anybody ever heard of uh, self-help books? Right? And we were always looking for and trying to learn from somebody else. How do, I, how do I become a better person? How do I live? But for some reason, there's this steal, kill, and destroy thing that the enemy tries to do and has such a foothold on, on many of us that completely distract us away from Jesus to be the source of that. And any self-help that is trying to lead you to a life of abundance that does not involve or point in any way or it rejects Jesus Christ is not something that's going to be healthy for your life. I'm not saying you discount all, all self-help. I'm saying that the author and perfecter, the very one who created you, who knit you together in your mother's womb, knows the best way to live. And he modeled it before us as he became a man and took on flesh and lived among us. In order to step into this kind of lifestyle, there are many different disciplines that we can engage in. The one I'm just pointing at this morning is learning to slow down and to embrace solitude or silence. So we're going to do something that may seem awkward or weird or different because it may not be what we always do at church. We're going to take a minute, and a half, two minutes, and we're going to be still and silent. Let's go there.
That was one minute. As we dive into these groups, each instructor, each facilitator is instructed to start your group with two minutes of silence. And and I don't know what silence was like for you. You know, for me, the first time I really had to deal with silence, um, I was a teenager. I, I drove to uh, Portsmouth, Virginia to play in a golf tournament one summer. Somebody broke into my car and stole my radio, and I had to drive 12 hours from Portsmouth, Virginia to Columbus, Georgia without a radio. And I, I thought I was going to have to check into a mental hospital. It was, it was, it was, it was so uncomfortable. I mean, I was singing, I was humming, I was listening to the radio of the car passing by. I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it was horrifying at how painful this experience was to sit in silence with nothing in my car. I don't know what your experience is like, but the Lord, I think, had me have that experience to recognize that I've come to find that Being able to step into a place of solitude and step into a place of silence and practicing that as a discipline in my life that, you know, Doug could tell you he's in he's in a discipleship group with me. And and as as we kind of unpack this discipline in in our group, you know, when I first started this, I got challenged with this as a discipline solitude. Like I'm like, oh, what in the world is that? And I went out by a lake and tried to do this. And it was like, I'm ADD people. I mean, you want to just see the need, the grace of God to empower you to do something you cannot do your, yourself. Be ADD and try to be silent or be in solitude. Right. I mean, I looked at every dragonfly by this lake. I thought about what size the fish were, whether or not they were biting, how many minnows I saw swim by in front of me, not getting bit by ants. I mean, every thought that could go by my through my brain. I mean, all that happened in the first three seconds. It was just. It was the 30 minutes of like horror and terror. And I pulled back on the highway after my complete debacle and failure with trying to experience solitude. And I laughed at myself like, oh, my gosh, you were so ADD. But I saw this invitation. That I realized God wanted to lead me into a place of transformation where I could slow down and not be the center of my own little world. But I could grow with beginning into practice, into becoming somebody different than who I am and not being able to have any control over how many ideas my mind has in a moment. But I can learn and am learning and have learned a lot on how to sit and be still. And there's a lot to learn in that. But the the three things I want you to hear this morning as we embrace this, as I'm trying to explain what in the world is contemplative spirituality, we're just picking one small piece in this discipline of, of solitude and silence. But number one, there's something to surrender to. Number one, number two, there's something to commit to. And number three, there's something to step into. There's something to surrender to. And that thing to surrender is that you're surrendering to be able to connect with the presence of God. You're surrendering this list And this list, if you think about it, the list that you have of all the things that you need to do probably creates a significant amount of anxiety in your life. Like it needs your attention. You have so much going on. You're at such a pace that to slow down is hardly conceivable. If this thing doesn't happen, then my world falls apart. And I want to challenge you in that. I want to challenge you to surrender your list to be able to. Come before God, because I promise you in the reality, in all of reality, if you were to sit before God 
in heaven, him on the throne, you at his feet, you would have a similar experience to what we see people having the experience about in Old Testament, where they fell on their faces, though dead, trembling in awe of his magnificence in fear of him because he is so awesome. That's reality. And you would look at this list and say, oh, oh my gosh, this list isn't near important all of a sudden. Friends, that's an invitation and a step in the process of an abundant life. I had a friend who's a, who's a fellow pastor several years ago. We were dealing with a, um, a person in the congregation that was having all sorts of problems and their life was just in chaos. And they walked out of the office we were meeting in and, um, and he looked to me and he says, control. And I said, what do you mean? He said, um, he said I've, just, I've just come to observe when people just living in complete chaos, they have control issues because chaos, they need their world to be in chaos because they need their world to be screaming for their attention where they're the only one that can step in and create some peace from this chaos. Anybody have a little chaos in their life that we look at and we say, you know what? I'm, I got some control issues, right? Well, friends, that's taking some inventory. That can be the beginning of a process. That's not about shame and, con- and condemnation. That's about, you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. There's something more I can step into. There's a life with Christ where he is seated on the throne. He holds every scripture teaches. us. He holds everything together by the power of his name. Do you know how much everything is? It's, it's everything. Like, that's a lot. Like, those stars in the sky that the Hubble telescope can look at 450 million light years away, that's a lot. That's a big place. And he holds it together by the power of his name. Either we believe that this word is true or we can't. Because either that's true or he can't. Like, can he really not handle our to-do list? Can we really not surrender and submit these things to him and experience a peace that comes from his presence. He has a different life for us to live than what we've known. And that's good news. That's the good news of his gospel is it transforms who we are as we choose to embrace it. The second piece is there's something to commit to. Barry Cox was sitting right here in the first service. He's one of the coaches at Altoona high school football program. And I asked him, I said, Barry, you know, um, if you uh, drew up the plays, he's the quarterback coach. I said, you drew up the plays and handed him to your quarterback and uh, showed it to him the first week of August and said, okay, we've got one day to look at these plays. And in September, we're going to start playing games. I'll see you then. Right. Uh, what do you think that would be like? He's like, it wouldn't work well. It doesn't work well now, much less, you know, with them coming to practice with me every day, much less if you just showed them plays. Now, if the quarterback could understand the plays and look at them and conceive it, what more needs to take place, right? I mean, that's all he needs to do is understand what the play is. So showing it to him one time and him looking at it, understanding X runs a fly, this guy runs a curl, and that guy runs a slant, I know what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't work that way. If this is going to be something that we embrace and have exercised in our lives and we expect to bring some level of transformation, then it requires a commitment And this is why we call it a discipline. And discipline is not a negative word. Discipline in this context means a training. 
that we're training, we're preparing to be able to learn. Now, I could run a marathon, but I couldn't do it today. Physically, well, I have to get my knee worked on. But after God, after God heals my knee from my torn meniscus, then I could run a marathon if I trained for it. But if I don't train for it, I can't do it. And it is the same thing with living the abundant life, friends. If you want to have a Zoe life, this life that Jesus came to bring in abundance, then it's going to take a commitment and desire to train. You can't just hear about it and understand it and think that you're going to walk out today and say, okay, I now will. I've got it. Contemplative lifestyle, learning to slow down, be with Jesus. Done. No, it's not done. You won't make it till tomorrow morning before your list is run in your life again. You won't have peace. You won't have joy. You'll have busyness and distraction. And which is that? Is it still and kill and destroy your Zoe life? Or is it giving Zoe life and leading you to Zoe life in abundance? The third piece, the third thing. Well, before we, before we dive into that, let me, let me just reference the piece that I already talked about. We want a reality of, of what this is about. This isn't about Eastern mysticism where we're learning to sit and be still and, and, and center ourselves. Right? That's not what it is. This is Jesus. This is Jesus' lifestyle. Look at Mark 1. Mark 1, verse 35. Verse 35. Jesus had just come the, the day previously. He had been healing Many casting out demons like there are crowds of people coming from villages all around. And Jesus is just like waving his hands and stuff's happening. It's amazing. People are in awe. Right. And then we pick up verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left his house and went to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon, his companions, went to look for him and they found him. They exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replied. Let's go somewhere else. That's what Jesus said. Jesus was not motivated by the list that was brought to him. It was not his responsibility. His responsibility was go to a solitary place, be with his father. Where do you think he got? I simply do what I see my father doing and say what I hear my father saying. Where do you think he hears that? He's he's giving his life in this almost codependence, you can see, to his father where he is not Self-motivated, his motivation is completely toward connecting with his father and being led by his father. And this is what he models for us. So the thought of sitting and being still is not some Eastern mysticism or New Age tactic. Like this is the reality of the character and the practices of our rabbi. And are we going to let him transform our lives by us not just going and doing and even doing for him, but that he's working on our character and he's freeing us up from some of those things that could be on the inventory list and leading us to a life of abundance. So I've got a question for you again out of practice. I'm going to ask this question and I'm going to invite you and challenge you to see what value could come from pondering, contemplating. A reflective question. And so I'm going to ask this question and I want you to challenge yourself, not just give the give the Jesus answer. Okay, I'm a good Christian. I got this. I want you to wrestle with this question and let your soul in some way be challenged by it. Here it is. 
I'm going to give you a minute to, to think about it. What do I want from God in my life? What do you want from God in your life? If you want from God to be able to just make it into heaven, and if your goal is to set, is to get you into heaven when you die, then I think that we could just want to get into heaven and never really want God. Look, either Jesus is as good as and better than we can imagine, or he's not the man that we understand left heaven and came to earth and suffered and died so that we could have an opportunity and be invited into an abundant life here and now, not just when we die. I mean, if he's that good, where we're going to spend eternity just standing before him on his throne and, and like the angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come and just in repetition over and over and over singing how good he is because we're constantly more amazed at how good he is every moment that goes on for eternity. If he's that good, then he ought to be good enough for us to start pursuing now. And if we start pursuing him now and we learn to walk in his ways of pursuing his presence, then we have that third piece. There's something new to step into. There's something to surrender and be able to give up this list and trust him with it. There's something to commit to that we embrace, that there's training involved. And that there's something to step into, that his presence awaits us. And when we step into his presence, there are three things I'm going to mention quickly. When we step into his presence, that there's a new perspective to be gained. I've already started to address it. If you look at that list compared to, stand, to sitting before his seat, then there is a perspective change that is going to take, that's going to take place. And in that perspective change, the weight, the list, the busyness of everything that managing your life currently suddenly gets put into its place. And there is something new to be able to govern my life because that something new is the very thing that is going to have your life fixed upon for eternity. And he's inviting for eternity to begin with you now. Not waiting till you die. That you get to taste that. So you, we step into his presence. So there's a new perspective. Number two, there is a new provision. Jesus says in Matthew 6, do not worry about what you're going to eat. What you're going to wear. Your father knows fully that you need these things. He created you. He created you. Here is one fact about life that he created. In all of his creation... A fact about what something needs to live throughout all of creation. In order to live, we need nourishment. Plants need nourishment. Algae need nourishment. If we're going to have a Zoe life in abundance, it ha- we have to be continually nourishing it for it to live and to grow. And this is what Jesus wants to walk with us in. I'm amazed the further I get into my Christian walk, how little I knew before now and how much more there is for me to learn. 
But when I look at and realize we all try to check a box and thinking, I know how to how to walk with Jesus. I know how to live with Jesus. And the more I think I, I know that, the more I realize I don't. But that with practice and engaging a t- contemplative lifestyle with Jesus, I'm learning from him continually of how to live and how to walk with him regardless of the scenario. It, here's the reality. God is never in a hurry. Anybody in here in a hurry? He's never in a hurry. And if he's not in a hurry and I'm called to be a disciple of his and to be transformed to become like him, not just in what I do, but in my character, that that the doing comes out of the being of who I am becoming to become like him. And if he's not in a hurry, guess what does that mean for me? I'm not going to be in a hurry. Like my kids have a few less scars over the last few months about hurrying up to get in the car because I'm working on letting God change me to become like him. Now, Jesus says very clearly in the New Testament that my father is always at work. But just because his father's always at work does not mean his father's in a hurry. Show me somewhere that God says, hurry up. And how many times have those two words come out of our mouths? Or how many times have we been in a hurry? The further I get into this challenge of learning how to slow down and not be in a hurry, the less importance I see the things on my list need of me. They don't need me. And if, if, if I look at this list and I believe that they do need me and I'm not comfortable with them not needing me, then that exposes this thing that where am I finding my identity? So here's this reality. He has this new perspective. He has a provision that he will provide. And there is also a power as we step into. There is a power that as I preached about a few weeks ago, that grace is the power of God working in our lives to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. In Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Isaiah 40, those who wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. Let me just ask you, how comfortable have you been in stopping everything in your day and putting on hold to turn your mind to Jesus, the author, perfecter of your faith, creator God, holds everything together by the power of his name and just let it be still. That your list has to submit. That you are making a a choice and a decision to practice and commit. Believing that this is an invitation. That we have this place we can step into. And when we step into the presence of God, in this presence, there is a joy to be found. There is a peace to know. And friends, this is what we gain from from diving into a contemplative lifestyle, not just because it's what we do and learning how to practice disciplines, but it's because of who he desires for us to become as he walks with us in this place. You see, biblically, the term foolishness could be described as when when we are fools, then the things in life are huge, enormous 
And God's small. God's too busy to be worried with my list. He's got 8 billion other people on the planet that have a bigger list than mine. And he can't handle all of it. So I'm not going to bother him with mine. But wisdom, biblically, is God is big. And whatever, however big our issues, however big our problems, however big our circumstances or situations are, they're small. And when Jesus says, I came that you might have life in abundance, he's, he, he's inviting us to a life of all that we know currently as big can become small and be put in its place. He's inviting us to step into a reality that we'll experience for eternity. But are you willing to dive into and begin practicing a new life that he came for you to to have? Let's pray. Father, thank you that your goal was not just to get us from down here up there when we die. But your goal is from up there to come down here in our lives that we can live in your kingdom now. And not only that we can live in your kingdom, we can become agents of your kingdom. That you are living your life in us and through us. You are having your way. We are witnessing your power because you're in charge. So, Lord, I pray in this coming season, as we step into this EHS material, that you would absolutely pull up the rug and show the things, the inventory of the things that you want to do in people's lives. Not because it's scary, not because it's big, because you want to set them free to no longer have them held back, no longer have their Zoe life stolen, killed and destroyed. But you want to set them free. And Lord, there are times when that happens in the moment and there are times when that takes a season. But you're not in a hurry. Lead us into your ways and guide us into your life in Jesus name. Amen. This morning, we have communion available for you. And I just encourage you before you come and take communion, if you choose to do so, to contemplate. Jesus' broken body. Jesus shed blood. For you to choose to follow him and to walk in his ways. We also have offering baskets up front. If you're new here, this is just how we do it. Just come and place your offering um, in the basket. We'll have people on the sides of the stage up here. If there's something that, that God is stirring in you and you know that this is the moment to, make a, to take a turn and to, to take a step into a different plan and a different strategy and a different pace of life than what you've had, if you want to join with me in learning how to slow down in order to be able to walk with God, then you may want to have somebody pray for you. This stage is also open as an altar if you want to pray by yourself. But before you leave this morning, I want to encourage you. To just pause as Tate leads us and be still before God and know that he has so much more in store for you and for me in this life.